Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Thank you for joining the Impactful Conversations podcast series, part of MoFo Perspectives. I'm Sean Byrne, a lawyer in our social enterprise and impact investing group. And today I am here with Henrik Jones, general partner of Buckhill Capital, for a special shelter-in-place edition of Impactful Conversations. Henrik, welcome. Thank you, Sean. You know, it's really pretty extraordinary that we're sitting here sheltering in place during the COVID crisis, and our project for the private equity civic has been named a finalist for the Grunin Prize. And the Grunin Prize is put out by the Grunin Center at the NYU Law School and is a prize that seeks to award legal innovation in pursuit of social entrepreneurship. So Sean, to me what's so exciting is that when we're in shelter in place and have pause to think about how we want to live when we come out of this, we can all in our own spheres make changes. And particularly in the investment world, we're now introducing this civic, this way of measuring the social and environmental impact of our investments to the rest of the investment community. And so just as so many companies and businesses are trying to change to affect better outcomes for the planet, the investment world can join in that and be aligned and so that we can have our investments also be geared towards providing positive social and environmental impacts as well as market competitive returns. And so that by doing things differently, we may not have another crisis like we have now. This shutdown is a huge opportunity to give us time to think about how we can upgrade the way we're making investments. Sean, what else are you seeing with other funds? Certainly, uh, the current environment has people thinking about environmental issues and sustainability issues and social uh, connections in ways that not as many people were thinking about uh, before this crisis hit us. And we see fund managers uh, launching, on the one hand, new products, uh, new investment products that are designed uh, simply to take advantage of some of the low prices that investment managers are seeing in the current market. Uh, but we also do have folks coming to our group uh, looking to uh, bring innovations uh, to adapt to how they see this world developing during the COVID crisis and the world that it's going to be on the other side of this. So, you know, th- these are the kinds of innovative clients that we, we like to work with when we can. Yeah, I um, have been in the investment business uh, nearly, gosh, 40 years and in different areas. I'm a traditional investor who was doing a traditional private equity investment program with Buckhill until a few years ago when we added an impact filter. And the reason why is uh, my community, friends, family, and particularly my daughter said, why don't you do more than just try to make money? And so we added an impact filter. Gotcha. And so what were your investment criteria before you added the impact filter? When I decided to adapt impact filters to Buckhill's traditional investment criteria, I I went around to other investment managers in the impact space and I asked them, how do you measure it? How does one implement this? And people said impact is whatever you want it to be and that there aren't hard measures like profits. That is what I 
am used to operating on. And knowing that the private equity business is very goal-driven and very focused on achieving goals, I knew that we needed to find a way to measure that, at least for me and the way our group works. And, and I was troubled that there was not an accountability for impact. And so that's why when I saw that we couldn't find it somewhere else, then I said, let's see, maybe this is an opportunity for us to put this in place. So, so you were going along uh, as a traditional private equity manager looking for those 2x returns, generating an annual return of 20% to have those outsized profits so that your investors would be willing to part with a fifth of those profits and still end up with healthy return for themselves. And, and you said that there was a turning point when members of your community, and I think you said especially your daughter, came to you and said, can't we do more? So focusing on your daughter. Actually, it was not can we, it's dad, can you do more? Uh, mm-hmm. That you Have you thought about your legacy? Because making money is not much of a legacy. And so she challenged me to really to have to do something that would also have a positive impact. And that was really exciting. Okay. So you've been involved in impact investing for the last five years or so. Yes, I've been doing impact investing for the last five years, but my personal nonprofit interests have been in environmental and social justice oriented areas, but they've always been in two different buckets. I mean, I started the environmental club at Harvard Business School and I had a column and I volunteered really since I graduated from college in in education. And I came to realize that it's kind of crazy that we invest money in my day job, for example, in fossil fuels, and then give it away to environmental organizations to reduce the impact of fossil fuels. So we're creating the problem we're trying to solve. And, and at some point, this became obvious, and you said, hey, let's <laughs> maybe approach this. I was told, I was given in very <laughs> clear terms that it was obvious. Okay. And so, so since that realization around five years ago, uh, how has the investment program at Buck Hill Capital changed? Adding an impact filter has fundamentally changed our business for the better. I think we're actually better investors because when we really focus on environmental and social impact, you can see all the risks. In, and so this is really a risk mitigation filter that instead of investing in legacy industries, we now have protection about investing in companies that will thrive in the future. So the investment program at Buck Hill has changed because now we're combining our impact interests along with the, our financial interests. And so we have three buckets. One is education for employability, which is a combination of my volunteering in education for nearly 30 years, as well as looking at investment models. And so we've invested in schools that help people get jobs, uh, which has resulted in both strong financial returns as well as positive impact. The other two buckets are healthy communities, which started with workforce apartments and now expanding into other areas such as regenerative finance. And then the third is efficient use of resources, which is making more with less. And HIG falls into the bucket of efficient use of resources. And so I'm glad you mentioned HIG because this is the Buck Hill investment uh, where we get to meet and got to work together. 
So can you tell us a bit about HIG, about this company that's going to be uh, the key company in our story? What its history is, what it does, and where does HIG fit in to those three investment themes uh, that you just spelled out that Buck Hill has? The HIG company is a technology company that helps the apparel industry measure their environmental and social impact. It is a a SaaS-based company that is used by half of the apparel companies in the world. It was formed by something called the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, which was formed by Patagonia and Walmart and now has all these different members. And they were looking to spin it out. What's interesting about this company is that the more people use the software as a result, the lower the carbon footprint is of the apparel industry, uh, it, as well as, as, as the better they treat employees and their environment. So it sounds like that touches on at least a couple of those Buckhill impact investment themes, right? Uh, efficient use of resources and healthy communities. So this investment opportunity uh, also ended up being a, an impact opportunity and a bit of a legacy opportunity for Buckhill Capital because of this civic, uh, which again is the carried interest by verified impact calculations. Now, I know, Henrik, when you first were thinking about this, we didn't have the acronym yet, but what, was, uh, what were the thoughts or concerns that you had that started us down the road to what became the civic? When I decided to adapt uh, impact filters to our traditional investment uh, filters criteria, I, I asked people, how do you measure it? How are we actually going to implement this? And people said, you need to do the right thing. And I couldn't understand that because private equity firm is so driven by the financial incentives and that people focus on that from the moment they look at an investment. And yet we were not, and, and that's the way investments are managed. And yet there was no accountability for impact. And, and I, what I saw was investors were investing in impact, so-called impact firms, and impact firms were investing in impact companies. But they would say things like, we, they would say, we're an impact firm and we'll never let impact get in the way of profits. I asked uh, existing managers and people in the industry, and they dismissed it uh, and said, uh, that accountability is too complex and that there's unintended consequences. Uh, and I'd say doing something is better than nothing. But I, I basically um, was beating my head against the wall on this and then decided, okay, let's see if we can do this ourselves. Let's see if we can create our own impact test that is, ties into the 20% carry. And when the Hig company investment came along, that would seem to be a great trial case to do that. And so then the next question was, I didn't know how to structure it. I hadn't really been given guidance from anyone. And my, the fund formation firm that I had also didn't have it. Great firm, but did not have the sophistication. They could have created a term for me, but they would have done what I asked for, but not without, I think, the wisdom and the knowledge would stand the test of time. And so uh, I interviewed around. I asked for people to tell me about different firms. I'd actually worked with MoFo years ago, but I started hearing Suze McCormick's name come up a number of different places. And in fact, a, a firm that I was almost about to, to sign on with said Suze is really the best in the world at 
uh, fund formation for B Corps and impact investing. And so uh, that's when I contacted Suze and, and the rest is history. Yeah, so Suze McCormick is one of the co-chairs of our social enterprise and impact investing group, along with Fredo Silva. And I work closely with both of them as a full-time fund formation lawyer. And more and more of my practice over the last two or three years has been in projects that come through Suze or from our SEII group where we have folks like Henrik who are looking to set up a fund uh, but incorporate impact into that fund's very DNA. And also projects where you have nonprofits themselves who are looking to set up or sponsor funds or somehow be involved in a fund structure uh, with all of the, the interesting, at least to those of us who practice this, uh, interesting tax and legal and regulatory concerns that come up in that field. So Henrik, uh, you came to Suze and Suze roped me in uh, with this idea of, well, surely we must be able to embed impact into the very means by which an impact fund manager is getting paid to manage this fund. And uh, we had looked at a variety of ways to do this. Uh, one of the methods that we looked at but ultimately did not pursue was the idea of having some part of a carried interest uh, be driven solely by financial returns and some part of the carried interest be driven solely by impact, uh, which is a, a, an approach that we have seen discussed in other projects. Um, but at least one of the issues that come up, comes up with such an approach is if you hit the impact, uh, but there's not sufficient profits, where's the money come from to pay the manager for hitting the impact goals? It also means that a fund manager can still receive some carried interest, even with 0% success on impact goals. Uh, and that was one of the things you wanted to avoid, right, Henrik, with what you were setting up with the Civic. And so where we ended up is a model where we essentially have a two-step process. And Henrik, do you want to explain our two-step process that the Civic uses? Yes. There's a part that is a standard term that can go into any firm, which is an insertion into the distribution uh, waterfall that the 20% profit is subject to an impact test. That can be copied. And, and then the second step is that there's a specific impact test for an investment that's in an exhibit A. Right. And so what we have is we calculate the initial carried interest as you would in a plain vanilla private equity or venture capital fund. But rather than say, all that carried interest is automatically distributed to the general partner, you have this filter that sits on top that says, we've got to look at that impact test in exhibit A to see how much, if any, of this determined carried interest actually gets into the hands of the general partner. And Henrik, if at the end of the fund's life, a fund manager has not generated sufficient impact as defined by their fund's own Exhibit A, what happens to that carried interest that the general partner didn't take home? This brings up one of the many conflicts of interest we reviewed in this. 
and a specific response to your question that if the impact test is not made, but the profits are, the carry gets donated to a nonprofit. So the limited partner is not rewarded for the general partner to fail to make the impact. And that's, it's an innovation that's maybe a little unusual, but it actually protects the financial motivations of all the parties and is in a traditional firm. So Henrik, what were you looking for when you came to us? I knew we could create an impact term, but I didn't know how. So first of all, I just wanted uh, to have some kind of an impact accountability that drove our compensation. Secondly, I didn't want something so complicated that investors would turn it off. Investors like things simple, what they've always seen before, you know, as they say, straight along the fairway. So I wanted a term that was inserted, that was simple, and that could be easily understood. And so that's why we wanted a, something that was standard, uh, that would fit in, and then separately also to have the flexibility in order to be able to have a specific test for every investment. Third thing I wanted was credibility. I wanted a firm that had credibility and, and sophistication to create a term that could pass the test of time. It had to be crafted by a reputable firm who also had the sophistication and the integrity to pull me back if it was a, an unmarketable idea. Right. And so for on each of those three points, uh, for that first point, keeping it simple, uh, one of the nice things about the Civic, at least where we ended up, is into the body of a firm's existing limited partnership agreement uh, it requires only a, the addition of a few lines in the distribution and perhaps the allocation sections of that agreement, uh, including that also important reference to uh, the impact test as set forth on Exhibit A. And on that second point, the flexibility, uh, this is the ability for each firm to define the appropriate impact test for it and its investments on that Exhibit A. And for example, Henrik, with the investment into HIG, uh, and not necessarily going into any specifics as to numbers, but what are the types of impact goal that are in the Exhibit A for HIG? The HIG company measures, helps companies manage the supply chain, specifically the environmental and social impact of the supply chain. So we need to have an impact test that matches the business in which our portfolio company is operating. And the HIG company focuses on the environmental and social impact of the supply chain in the apparel industry. So we have started with measures on the uh, how the customers, the apparel industry, reduces their carbon footprint by using the HIG impact. And that is an annual goal set for five years. And if that goal is met and there is a liquidity event, then we get the carry. And if that goal is not met, we don't. Now, for a fund manager, Henrik, who's uh, not making just one known investment, uh, in our case, we for HIG, uh, we built the Civic for use in a, a special purpose vehicle that we knew was going to invest in HIG, and that's all it was going to do. Uh, but for a fund manager who might know its investment strategy and its impact areas of concern, but does not yet know 
it's the composition of its investment portfolio, can it still have a civic in its fund agreement? And how does that work when it's launching? Sean, that's the elegance of what MoFo has created for Buck Hill. You see, because there's a standard term, which is an insertion into the waterfall that can be in any agreement and doesn't need to be tailored. And then the specific impact test is in an exhibit A, which each fund and each investment can be set exactly as how the company wants to do it. And, and the thing you may have heard Henrik mention there is you can even launch your fund uh, with a blank exhibit A at first, but guess what? Uh, by default, you're treated as meeting 0% of your impact goals before you have any. And so a fund manager is not taking any carry home until they get that exhibit A in place and until they start getting verification of how well they're doing against that exhibit A. So you're bringing up, Sean, a good point on this, which is this is new, this is challenging. And specifically, when you're making new investments with companies, they often don't have the measurement systems to be able to determine what the impact test is in advance. And so, and I found that investors are accepting that one can go into investment and not have the test. But I think a realistic expectation is to say, we're going to have an impact test and it'll be set after the investment has been made, just as one often you know, creates operating plans or, or changes things. And therefore not to dismiss doing an impact test because it is so complex. And by the way, I'm happy to talk to anyone who wants to talk about this, but it's, um, I think this could be a challenge for people or an experiment, or there could be hesitancy about starting this. But I can assure you that we are structuring these tests that with the same confidence we, when we go into investment, we're going to make the profits, that we're going to make the impact test. And, and with the same sort of conservative projections and guidelines on the tests. So you're doing going into an investment alongside your traditional financial underwriting. You're now essentially doing impact underwriting as well. Bingo. So what reception have you been getting from the investor community on the concept of the Civic? So on the investor community, if three parts, one is other general partners, then the investment funds, and then portfolio companies. I started with talking to the general partners and they kind of ridiculed it and were dismissive. And, and I didn't get a single manager who thought it was a good idea, general partner. Then I talked to investors and they were excited about it. You know, Tonic really asked me to present this and talk. And they, before we even closed the investments, they wanted to talk about it. What's most interesting, though, is portfolio companies love it. And in fact, when we were going through with this HIG investment, the board, which represented apparel companies from Patagonia and Walmart and North Face and REI, they, they asked if we were aligned with them in values, not just interests, but values. And, and they kept pushing. And when I came back to them, told them about the impact test, they said, that could be a way. We want you to see it. So I actually called you all and said, Morrison Forrester, in order to get this deal, we got to get this impact test done because I got to present this to the company. And so they took what we presented and took it to the board. And within a day, that's when they gave us the mandate and said, you have won over the board in that we think you are aligned with us in values. So I really credit this impact test as one of the reasons why we got the mandate to invest in HIG. 
Yeah, and and thank you, Henrik, for having come to us to help you work on, develop, and ultimately put into place this this interesting project. And in addition to those resources that Henrik mentioned, certainly if for fund managers that have who want to use the Civic or have similar projects brewing in their minds, certainly feel free to reach out to our social enterprises and impact investing group uh, here at MoFo, because we love working on these innovative, uh, game-changing products. So Henrik, I want to say thank you for joining us here today on Impactful Conversations. For those listening at home, if you want to keep us in your thoughts, they will the uh, Grunin Center at NYU's Law School will be conducting interviews and I believe announcing the prize winners in early June. So please keep your fingers crossed for, for Buckhill Capital and MoFo. And Henrik, any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners before we go? I think you've said it all, or <laughs> thank you so much, Sean and Mofo, for this, for what you've done and the opportunity. The only thing I'd add is if anyone has questions, my team and I at Buck Hill are available. We're, we know this is complicated to structure, and we are very interested in collaborating with others on this. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, and thank you for tuning in to this edition of Impactful Conversations. Please make sure to subscribe to the MoFo Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. 